Good stuff. Um, we are on week six. This is the last week we're going to be talking about this topic. We've been through this word saved and really talking more about what it means to be saved. And we've repeatedly gone back to this idea that it's not enough to just start the journey. Being saved is a wonderful, marvelous thing and it's huge, but it's not enough. That is the beginning of a walk with Jesus where we learn how to follow him. And it's my hope that some of you will start using different terminology as you talk to each other. And instead of asking people, have you been saved, that you'll ask the question, do you follow Jesus? Because that puts it in the present and that makes it an active role, an active thing that you can do. Today I want to talk a little bit about this concept and, and I'll let you stew on it for a minute while I kind of get started. It's simply this, converse, conversion, I can't say it right, conversation <laughs> follows conversion. My brain's getting older. Conversation follows conversion. Let me just ask you this question. What's on your mind today? What's in your heart today? What are you thinking about today? What has been occupying your thoughts over the last few days? I'm willing to wager that if I spent about 10, 15 minutes talking to any one of you, that within just a few minutes of having a conversation, I could probably tell you what you've been thinking about. <coughs> Excuse me. What you've been concerned about, what's been on your mind, and maybe what's been on your heart. Because it seems like a human kind of condition that whatever we think about and whatever is most pressing on our mind and on our heart has a tendency to come out of our mouths. Am I right? Whatever we think about tends to come out of our mouths. This time of year, a lot of us are wandering around the narthex talking not about necessarily how to become better disciples of Jesus, but whether or not our football team is going to win or did win yesterday. I forgot. It's it's college thing. Yeah, there's a lot of us that are concerned about that. Now, those of you that, you know, root for the Lions, we've already had ours for this week. We don't have to worry about it, right? It's all good. They made their win. They got it Thursday night. But this time of year, and I'll admit I'm one of them, football kind of captures my imagination, and I think a lot about it because it's fun to watch. It's fun to see, especially college game where the stadiums are filled with students and, and supporters and all that stuff. The buzz of a college game day is something I never got to participate in college. I went to a wee little college in Florida. We had a basketball team that was not too bad, but it's just not the same. The football thing is huge. And you know what? There are several of you that have even confessed to me that you had to step away from college football a little bit for a little bit of time because it can overwhelm you. It can become so pressing in your mind and your thought that that's all you think about, that's all you care about, that's all you talk about. And I had one person specifically tell me I had to walk away from it for a while because it was changing my mood. How many of you know somebody that if their team doesn't win, they're in a bad mood? You know anybody like that? We had a guy at one of my churches in Defiance, Ohio, who was such an, he's gone on to be with the Lord now, so I can talk about him because he can hear me. It's not behind his back anymore, right? But he was, a, he was a great guy. He was one of the, my best friends there. He did the sound for us, and him and his wife were just beautiful people. But um, he was an Ohio State fan through and through. And as soon as he found out they got a pastor from Michigan, he immediately invited me to the Michigan-Ohio State game that year because they were supposed to destroy us. Right? Suffice it to say, they didn't. That was the year we spoiled their season. It was awesome. It was awesome. But he was such an Ohio State fan that if Ohio State lost, he would frequently not show up for church. He named his dog Brutus. 
He had a daughter, or a son, and daughter-in-law who had the first female grandchild, and he tried his very best to get them to name that poor child Scarlet Ann Gray. Some of you get it? You get it? Scarlet Ann Gray? Scarlet Ann, there wasn't a D there, but it was implied, right? So, I mean, this guy was intense, but he literally couldn't go about his work, about his business. He would call in sick on Mondays if they lost. He just wrecked his whole mood. Some of you are in that frame of mind, and when you talk about it, we know what's on your heart. Some of you, it's not football. Some of you are obsessed this time of year with pumpkin spice. Anything pumpkin spice. I don't care if you had a pumpkin spice latte. Don't share. We can smell it on your person. I'm just saying. And I got to tell you, it ain't pumpkin that you're tasting. Because if you've ever tasted a pumpkin, they're nasty, right? It's just the spice. So you might as well just call it spice and be over with it. But if you like pumpkin spice, more power to you. For some of us, it's our kids. It's our grandkids. I can remember back when we were new parents and every little thing that our kids did was brand new. Do you remember those days? They talked for the first time, said their first words, or they walked for the first time, or they crawled, or they rolled over, or they picked their nose. Whatever it was, we were just so excited about every little thing. And we would go to church. And without even thinking, we would lambast everybody that we talked to all about our kids. And I can remember seeing the look in some of the older people's eyes of like, Oh, that's nice, and now I understand what that look is. It was like, we've been through it too. Can we please talk about something else, right? Because you get tired of hearing about it. And now that I have grandkids, I'm not probably as bad as she is, but that's all she talks about. I kid you not, we can be talking about world politics, and we'll end up discussing what one of our grandkids is getting for Christmas, Which, by the way, if we get this house we're trying to get, Christmas is canceled at my house because there ain't no money. So anyway, but she's not okay with that. But it's just like everything turns to them. Why? Because they're dear to our hearts and they're present in our mind. And therefore, whatever is dear to our heart and present in our mind ends up coming out of our mouths. And speaking of this house... We were at our son's house yesterday up in Midland. We went up to visit Josh and China and, and little Z, who's our grandbaby, that we don't get to see nearly as much. The kid is adorable. He's smarter than both of his parents. They are in serious trouble. I mean, he is going to tear them up. Um, but anyway, it was so much fun. But you know what I noticed after we'd been there about an hour? I'm like, you know what? We have literally talked about nothing but this house. And I started to see in their body language that they were really getting over it. You know, they're like, okay, can we please talk about... But listen, whatever is on your mind and in your heart probably is going to come out of your mouth. So here's the problem. There is this theory in Christianity, and it's been around a long time. Um, A.W. Tozer, who I told you inspired this series, noticed it in the church of his time, which was in the late 1800s. He was born through about 1960. There's this concept in the church that you can be a follower of Jesus, that you can love Jesus, that you can be saved and be kind of a private Christian, that even though Jesus lives in your heart, that you can go about your life without really talking about him or or making it known in public or that you can somehow just follow Jesus but not tell anybody about it. 
You know, because my faith is, is personal. It's, it's private. It's my business. It's not anybody else's. I've heard these arguments over and over again in my life from the time that I was a child all the way through today. And there are people who want to be Christians incognito who think that it's okay that I, I prayed the prayer. I'm, a, I'm fine with Jesus being my Savior on Sunday morning. But when it comes to the rest of my life, you need to just stay out of it. And I don't need to be one of those people that shouts it from the rooftops. And I will agree with this much of that. You don't have to stand on a street corner with a sign and scream at people. I, I, I don't like that either, okay? You don't have to let Christianity be the only thing that you ever talk about. But let me tell you something. If Jesus lives in your heart, then he should be on your mind. And as a result of that, you should talk about him at least most of the time, right? There ought to be at least moments in your conversations where the stuff that is in your heart and the stuff that is in your mind tends to come out of your mouth because he is important to you. And if he isn't important to you, then you have a problem in the relationship that you have with Jesus. Because I got to tell you, anybody who's ever been in love knows that when you're in love with somebody, you tend to talk about them. And all of you have friends who are maybe currently in love with somebody new and you're sick to death of them talking about them, right? When you love something, you talk about it. A.W. Tozer said it this way, the things that are closest to our hearts are the things that we talk about. And if God is close to your heart, you will talk about him. And I believe that the Bible affirms that the conversation that we have leading people toward Christ is absolutely a biblical thing. Listen to what the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul was one of the greatest missionaries who ever lived for the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he was a pastor too. But he pastored most of his time from a distance, and he wrote letters to the churches that he started. And to the church at Rome, he wrote these words in Romans 10, verses 9 and 10. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe him in, or and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. He seems to indicate there that it's not just about the heart. Certainly the heart has to change. Certainly Jesus has to do a work there. The Spirit has to call you and you have to respond to that. But once Jesus has entered into your heart, the declaration that you make should be public. And some people would say, well, pastor, that's baptism he's talking about. All he's really saying there is that once you get saved, you should get baptized so the whole world knows that you're a Christian. I got news for you. I don't see a limitation there. I think he's talking about every word that you say and every conversation that you have. There should be some reference or some conversation that comes back to Jesus. Now, once again, I, I'm not saying that he has to be the only thing you ever talk about because that is repugnant in some ways. You know, you got to mix it up. you got to have conversations. But listen, at the very least, if you love Jesus, he ought to be working his way into 50 to 60 to 70% of your conversations in some way or shape or form. Listen, if God has saved you, through the work that Jesus did on the cross of Calvary, if you felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit and submitted your life to him and experienced the life that comes from his gift of salvation, there's no way you should be able to not tell somebody about it. And I want to give you a case study. And I promise we won't be long today because this message is really pretty simple. If Jesus lives in your heart, then he ought to be in your mind as well. 
And that should cause your words to come out looking like him. There's a case study in John chapter 4. I love this story. It's one of my favorites. Some of you who've been here for a while know that because I reference it a lot. I just like it. John chapter 4 tells the story of what we call the, the, the woman at the well. And, and to just kind of give you a heads up, I'm going to read part of the scripture later, but I want to tell you the story so that we can kind of get through it quicker. Um, just to give you kind of a, a preview on it, Jesus is traveling with his disciples as he often did. They traveled by foot. It was exhausting. It wore you out. And so they stopped along this, by this well, a well that Jacob had dug near the town of Sychar. Now, the Bible tells us that Jesus was traveling through the land of the Samaritans. You've heard me say before probably that the Samaritans and the Jews did not like each other. They did not get along. Good Jews did not talk to Samaritans. It was prejudice, plain and simple. The Samaritans believed they were right. The Jews believed they were right. The, the, the Samaritans believed in one place of worship. The Jews believed in a different place of worship. And near the, tw- the two shall meet. They just did not agree on anything. And there was hatred between the two people. So Jesus stops by this well. The disciples go into town. Now why did they leave him there? I've often wondered that. Why did they leave Jesus all alone sitting by a well with nothing to draw water with? Obviously, you'll find out in a moment. But I think the reason was this. Everywhere that Jesus went, people literally just packed around him. And so they went into town to get food and supplies for them so that Jesus could simply rest and not be deluged with people. And so the disciples go into town to get food. And along comes this Samaritan woman who's got a bucket, she's got a rope, she's ready to draw water for her family. And Jesus speaks to her which is unusual. Men back then, the Jewish men, generally didn't speak to a woman unless their husband or father or some responsible male was was present. Not only that, but Jesus could clearly see that she was Samaritan. And he says to her, hey, could you get me a drink of water? And the woman turns to him, looks at him and says, basically, I'm a Samaritan, you're a Jew. Why are you asking me for water? And Jesus says, well, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me for water and I would give you living water. And she looks at him and said, dude, you ain't got no rope or a bucket and this well is deep. How are you going to get me some water? This is a paraphrase, obviously. And she looks at him and says that and Jesus says, listen, if you drink this well, sorry, I had a momentary lapse of consciousness there. If you drink from this well, you will be thirsty again. But if you drink the water I give you, you will never be thirsty again. And this woman who carries water probably three times a day is going, I'll take that water right now. Get me that water. I don't know how you're going to get it, but I'll take that because I'm sick and tired of coming to this place. And Jesus says to her, he kind of changes the whole conversation. He says, go get your husband. To which she replies, I don't have a husband. To which Jesus replies, I know you don't have a husband. In fact, you've had five husbands, and the man you're currently living with is not your husband. The woman turns to Jesus and says, I can see that you're a prophet. Duh. And so she does what most of us would probably do if our personal life is about to be invaded. She changed the conversation to a technicality. Well, since you're a prophet, let's talk about where it's appropriate to worship because that's the important question right now. Us Samaritans believe it's on Mount Gerizim. You Jews believe it's in Jerusalem. Where is the proper place to worship? You see what she's doing here? She's like, let's not focus on me. 
Let's talk about something else. How many of you are in the habit when God starts to get serious with you in the conversation about your life or something you need to give up or something you need to do and you find some way of derailing the conversation some other way? God, can we just please talk about the music that Pastor Jeff, you know, planned last week because it was whack. It was crazy. That was dumb music. That was new. He needs to just stick to the old classics. Besides, what does he think? He has a voice for that? He doesn't have the voice for that. Or maybe it's the carpet. God, can we just argue about the carpet color again at the church? Because that's more comfortable for me than talking about the issues that I have. And she basically tries to turn the conversation around. And Jesus comes back at her and says, listen, it's not important where you worship because a day is coming when God will be looking for people who worship in spirit and in truth. And he turns the conversation once again. She says to him, Master, we know that the Messiah is coming. And Jesus says to her, I am the Messiah. Now at that moment in time, the disciples come back because they always come back at the worst possible time, kind of like your children, right? Verse 27, let's see what it says. Just then, his disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Or why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village, telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Many Samaritans from the village believed. I'm sorry, I jumped over a little part. There's a conversation that in, in the middle there where Jesus talks to his disciples for a minute, but I want to get to this part in verse 39. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village, so he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the Savior of the world. Let me just point out a few phrases that I think are important from that text. First and foremost, she ran to the village. Let me ask you, what frame of mind are you generally in when you run, right? If you're bored with something, do you run? No, you go slow. If you hate life in that moment, you go slow. Case in point, one of the processes, because it's on my mind, you're going to hear about it, of us closing on our house, is that they had to pump out our septic tank. You probably never thought you'd ever hear me use that in a sermon, did you? Yeah, some of it. How many of you are red? Anybody red-green fan? Yeah, what's the name of that septic-sucking service? The Rothschild Septic-Sucking Services? Is that what it is, Aaron? Yeah, great show. Anyway... This guy comes out to pump our tank out. And I got to tell you, I'm a friendly person. When, pe- when somebody's providing a service I need, I'm a friendly person. I will walk out. I try to be friendly, especially if I know that their job is probably not the most enjoyable job in the world. I try to be very friendly. So I walk out. I'm like, how you doing, man? He's like, fine. Okay. Uh, septic tanks this way. Usually they take a hose. He's like, Okay. So I walk away. I walk in the house. I'm like, he's not in the mood to talk. So anyway, he's down there doing his thing, you know, throws the the hose down in there and all that. You don't need to hear the gruesome details. But I look out the window carefully because I don't want him to see me spying on him. 
I look out the window, and the dude is literally sitting on the ground, like squatting down with his hand on his knee, and he's like this. I mean, his face said it all. I hate my job, I hate my life, and I wish I was anywhere but here right now, right? How many of you had a day like that? You had a day like that? Listen, that man never ran anywhere the whole time he was there. I've never seen a person move so slow. Why? Because when you're depressed, you go slow. But when you're excited, what do you do? You go fast. You run. And guess what she did? She ran. Why? Because she was excited. She was thrilled. She couldn't believe what she was seeing and hearing. This guy had told her stuff nobody could know unless God intervened. And she saw the hand of God intervening right there in Jesus. She met him face to face. And she got so excited that she didn't walk back to the village. She ran back to the village. We don't know if she was still carrying the bucket or what. I I have no idea. I imagine she dropped it and ran. But she took off and she went. Why? Because when you're excited, you go fast. Second thing I want you to notice, she told everyone. She told everyone. You guys know this type of person, don't you? The people who just can't keep it to themselves. The people who just can't share with their friends and their neighbors and their relatives. They got to tell everybody every piece of news that they get. Thank goodness they didn't have Facebook back then, right? She told everybody. Now, the picture I see in my mind is her running from house to house. Hey, you got to come see this guy. He told me stuff I've never told anyone. Well, okay, everybody here in the town knows it, but he shouldn't have known it. You got to see this. Come and see this guy. You got to see. He, he told me everything I've ever done. And she goes from house to house to house telling people indiscriminately. Now, you know with her history, And we don't know whether it was her history or the men that she'd actually been shackled to. We don't know who was at fault. But we know with that kind of a history, there were probably people in her village who went, oh, not her again. But she didn't care. She told everyone. Because what was on her heart was Jesus. And what was on her mind was Jesus. And when Jesus is on your heart and mind, then that's what comes out of your mouth. Right? Third thing I want you to see. She simply said, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Listen, she didn't try to tell them all about Jesus. She didn't try to give them the whole scoop. She didn't try to describe his clothes or his hair or anything else. All she did is say, look, he told me stuff that he shouldn't have known. Come and see for yourself. Listen, I think a lot of times as Christians in our conversation that follows our conversion, we have a tendency to oversell it. Can I just say that? I think sometimes we have a tendency to try to give people too much knowledge about Jesus. Instead of simply telling them what he's done for us and then inviting them to come and meet him for themselves. Because let me tell you this, 25 minutes of telling somebody about Jesus isn't worth one second of them actually being in his presence. We need to stop trying to convince the mind and invite Say, look, Jesus came into my heart. He changed my life. My future is no longer in eternity and death. My future is now in eternity in heaven with Jesus. I have death and now I have life. You need to come and meet him for yourself. And then you invite him to church or you invite him to a Bible study or you invite him to something where they can find the Savior. And if the Spirit of God is working in their heart and beginning to draw them, which is necessary, They will follow your invitation and finally meet him, hopefully, for themselves. Sometimes we say too much. 
Sometimes we need to just say, hey, here's my experience. This is what God did in my life. Come and see. Come and meet him for yourself. Give the invitation. Nextly, uh, many Samaritans, it says, from the village. Um, many Samaritans went from, from the village believed because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. Many Samaritans believed. What would have happened if that woman would have said, man, Jesus, I'm so glad I found you. I'm so happy that you're willing to embrace me. I I can't believe you talked to me to begin with, but I'm so happy you did. I now have seen the Messiah. What a great and awesome thing. What happens if that woman walks quietly back to her house and goes about her business? Absolutely nothing. Do you want to know what's happening in America right now when Christians come into their houses of worship? and have wonderful times of great expressive worship. You know, I mean, not in our church, but some churches do expressive things, you know, like raise their hands and get excited and clap. Some of them even dance around a little bit, and that's okay. Some of you don't know if I'm kidding or not. Yeah. There's testimonies, yeah. Flags running the whole thing. Listen, I'm not saying you have to do that, but what I am saying is this. It's okay to get excited once in a while. Because God has done something amazing in our lives, hasn't he? Listen, when we sing, I can't believe how good the Lord is, man, I'm looking at Pat most of the time because he encourages me. He keeps me going because it was his song. He, he suggested it. He's taking credit for it. But still, look at what the Lord has done in your life. How do you keep that to yourself? But you know what's happening all over America and probably other parts of the the more cultured world is that people come into their houses of worship. They have an incredible experience where they'll even say, I met with God today. And then they get in their their cars and they quietly go to the restaurant and eat and, and keep it to themselves as if nothing had ever happened. And you know what happens? Nothing. <laughs> when I die someday, I've told you this before, I want on my tombstone, I told you I was sick. But underneath that, I hope that it says something about the fact that many believed because of my witness or my testimony or my life or my mistakes. I don't care what caused it. I just would love to go to heaven knowing that that I had the kind of impact that the Samaritan woman had on her village that many believed because she was willing to testify about what God did in her life. She wasn't a theologian. She barely knew who Jesus was. She simply shared her story, and look what God did through that. Many believed because of her testimony. Friends, I would love for us as a church to be able to say, many believe because of our testimony. You have a perfect opportunity today to go tell somebody how good God was last year at this time when we paid off our mortgage. The world may not care about that, but you know what? It's worth getting excited about because we prayed for it and God did it and we're going to celebrate it. But you know what? That's not the only thing God does. Day by day, moment by moment, he blesses and he helps and he walks beside us. Share those stories. Many Samaritans believed because of what she said. Then they came back to her at the end, and I love this, how they kind of wrap up the story with this. Now we believe, they said to her, they said to the woman, now we believe because of what you told us, um, not because of what you told us, but because we have heard him for ourselves. Let me simply say this again. Belief does not come 
by hearing about Jesus. It comes by a conversation with Jesus. Believing can start, I mean, we can start with the invitation and tell people about Jesus, but until we invite them to meet them, to meet him face to face and and to come into personal contact, no one will ever find him. And how will people ever know how to find him unless they hear it from those of us who know him and how will they hear it if we don't tell them? It's up to us to share what Jesus has done. Listen, is Jesus on your mind? Is he in your heart? If you're a saved person, if you are following Jesus, he ought to be all over your head and all over your heart. And if he's in your heart and he's on your mind, then the conversations that you have should eventually lead to a conversation about Jesus. And again, I'm not saying everyone, but friends, there ought to be some evidence that you're excited about what God did in your life. What is closest to your heart will come out of your mouth. A conversation should follow conversion. You get it now? If you've been saved, tell the world. And may many follow and may many believe because of our testimony. Pray with me. Father, it is my prayer as a pastor that through this series, people have found that being saved is a big deal. (laughs) So big it doesn't even fit on the screen. But even bigger than that, Lord, it should fit into every part of our lives. But being saved is not a one-time thing. It's a lifestyle that begins when we follow you and we begin to respond to your Spirit's leadings and guidings every minute of every day. And I know to some here that probably sounds exhausting because they haven't given much thought to their, their walk with Christ up until now. Maybe they were taught that all you have to do is pray that prayer and you're good to go. But Lord, there is so much more that we can get from life when we spend our time seeking you and pursuing you and, and telling others about you and, and experiencing your presence in our lives through the scripture, through prayer, through worship, through just conversations with other believers in Christ and, and conversations with our unsaved friends that, that can lead to talk about spiritual things. Not that we have to convince them, but we need to be willing to open the door so that they can ask the questions that they need to ask. And we can say to them, come and see. This is what God has done for me. Come and see what he can do for you. Father, if there are those here today that that are struggling with that and and still trying to figure out how do I start living this this Christian life in a way that it comes naturally to me and and I can experience the freedom and the joy that, that other people talk about, I pray that you would give them the courage to come and talk to me about it or come talk to Pastor Pat or Pastor Brian because we would love to help them get started on that journey. And God, I just ask right now, I'm going to be a little bit selfish and pray for those who have signed up for my Disciples One class because they're attempting this, they're starting this right now. I pray that you would walk with each and every one of them that as they do their daily readings and as they seek you and pursue you and listen to your spirit and then share what they've learned with the rest of the group and apply those learnings to their lives, that you would give them encouragement, that they would get so excited about what is happening in their life with you that they wouldn't be able to contain the excitement that they have and they would run to their neighbors and tell them about the experience they've had with you. God, we pray that each one of us would begin to grow in your direction and that we would be willing to have conversations about our conversion. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
Amen.